0: Folks, I'm on vacation, traveling and camping around the Western USA, but fortunately I have a good friend who can guest host Spirit in Action for me today, who tells me that he happened to have a plethora of creative pieces needing an outlet and an ear from his Bubble and Squeak podcast. No further ado, I'll turn it over to you, Peterson Toscano, and we'll see what wild media mix you concoct. It's all yours, Peterson. Thank you, Mark,
1: for what may be the very last time you let me guest host Spirit in Action. Today, I bring you a pooperie of audio from my occasional podcast called Bubble and Squeak. For those of you who don't know Bubble and Squeak, which it's most of you, I take conversations, personal stories, radio comedies, and recordings of random sounds. I then mash them all together and hope it works out. <laughs> Our show today comes in six parts. Part one writer Wendy Sanford talks about being part of the creation of the groundbreaking women's health book, Our Bodies, Our Cells. Part two singer songwriter Scott Fowler lives the fast life and the slow life and shares a song with us. Part three Lynn Johnson reads a moving excerpt from her spiritual memoir, Holy Adventure. As an artist, she sees for the first time. Part 4, Bleeped, How Censorship Affects Art, Freedom of Speech, and Drag Queens. Part 5, A Semi-Silly Story Set in the Future with a Very Loud Cat. And Part 6, Caring for My Sister-in-Law During Her Last Days. We begin with Wendy Sanford.
2: Um, Yeah, I'm a writer. You know, if it's pertinent, I'll say that I was involved in writing for the book, Our Bodies, Ourselves. I'm a Quaker. I'm cisgendered, white. I am a lesbian. I'm married to Polly Atwood. I'm a Democrat, which was new in my family. An editor. I edit things even when people don't ask me to. A dog lover. A cook. And also a mother in a... A relationship that's been somewhat difficult over the years, and a grandmother of three young women whom I don't see much. Well, back in the 1960s and early 70s, there was no information that was trustworthy for women about our bodies, and particularly our sexual health, our reproductive health. A group of us got together and started researching that and taught a course called Women in Their Bodies. People were so interested in it. And then people contacted us. They heard about it and they contacted us from New York City and other places where there were starting to be groups of feminist women wanting to take charge of our health care and make some changes. So we printed up our monographs on various topics, and that eventually became Our Bodies, Ourselves. Today, there's so much information out there, and yet the, st- the question still is, is it trustworthy information? Is it from a woman's point of view? Is it put out by the drug companies? What are the politics of access to health care for women uh, at all levels of economics and social class and race and so the questions are still there. and the, the work is needed as much as ever. I wasn't openly lesbian at first. We were all heterosexual women, which was so funny because the press thought we were, you know, feminists were bra burners and lesbians and all of that. And we were just we were just this group of, of women who happened to all be heterosexual at the time or thought we were. So I, it was wonderful when I finally came out Well, it was wonderful for me that I came out because I ended up with Polly for 42 years. But it was also wonderful for the group because finally we had a lesbian in the group. We uh, had this chapter called Our Changing Sense of Self and even the title would be a warning today. Who's this we who's saying our changing sense of self? Who can proclaim what our changing sense of self is? Right away, we got feedback from African-American women's health activists and Native American women's health activists and Latina women's health activists that we couldn't say we. We were a group of white middle-class women. Our book focused a lot on our issues and said it was for all women. Some of the critiques were, why don't you talk about sterilization abuse? Why do you focus on abortion totally to the exclusion of sterilization abuse when sterilization abuse is something that is really, really affecting Latino women, for instance, in Puerto Rico, particularly at the time? What about the right to decent prenatal care? We just kind of assume it, but in fact, for women living in poverty, that's a right that's never recognized. And back then, as sadly, Well, criminally, today, the rate of mortality for African-American expectant mothers is much higher than for white women. That was true at the time. And as I say, criminally, it's true today. So people were saying, you say we, you say you're speaking for all women, but you're not. And that was a real wake up call for me. I had some struggles in the group over the years because there were some people who were really attached to that moment of excitement that we could say "we" and mean all women, that we were what we were learning in our lives and our consciousness raising groups was relevant to other to to women all over, and that was very heady and very exciting. It just was only partially true. Well, we redid it, I think, ten or eleven times over. 40, 50 years, and each time we widened the understanding of we, of the we. We added a chapter that was written by women with disabilities, by lesbian. The lesbian chapter was, was a great enterprise. The first lesbian chapter that we added actually was by a collective of lesbians in the Boston area. They wouldn't let us touch their chapter they had to just put it in the way they thought it should be and so we agreed to do that it was all very exciting and in our meetings i was always very shy and nervous because i felt like they'd look at me and see something which a few years later i saw it in myself realized i was lesbian too and i actually worked on the first redo of that lesbian chapter each time we included more experiences from a wider range of women and more concerns from a wider range of women. All over the country, women's groups were tackling different issues, becoming active and organizing around creating women's clinics, researching DES, which is a drug that women took mid-century that had led to birth defects in the children, particularly the female children, vaginal issues. There was so much activism going on and we wanted to reflect it. So the book got bigger and bigger. And then in later times, I like the most recent one I worked on in 2011. uh, One of the big changes in the book at that point was that we had always had a lesbian chapter and a heterosexual relationships chapter. And we looked at each other, those of us who were working on it and said, this is ridiculous. The issues in relationships, there may be one or two things that are different if you're a heterosexual or a lesbian couple, but not many. So now there's a relationships chapter. There was no one in our group that identified as trans at the time, but I had done some reading and realized that trans women, also gender fluid people, that They also had really significant issues that needed to be present in a book about women and their bodies. I had been putting more and more about trans issues in for the past decade or so. But in 2011, we actually had several trans and gender fluid people who helped write the sections that were pertinent to them. I had been putting more and more about Trans issues in for the past decade or so. But in 2011, we actually had several trans and gender fluid people who helped write the sections that were pertinent to them.
1: Scott Fowler is a studio musician and a singer-songwriter. I met him through his parents, fellow Quakers in Wichita, Kansas. Like most of us, COVID changed Scott's life, it also changed the ways he lives it. I asked Scott about how he identifies what life was like as a studio musician in LA, and about his life today in Colorado.
3: Used to be Scott the musician. That was was it. You know, I've been playing music for going on 17 years now, Uh, I guess, quote unquote, professionally. So that was kind of everything. And then with the pandemic, it kind of pushed me in a direction which I was kind of already feeling, which is just, Scott the Human, love playing music and writing, of course, but love doing things in my hands. So got into doing leather working and um, doing creative things of all sorts, being with people and learning and experiencing and traveling and uh, being active. Um, that's a big part of who I am. So I don't know, whenever somebody asks, like, who am I, I'm, I give them that wide-eyed look of like, that's a very loaded question. I did a lot of touring over the years, but definitely, definitely hundreds of hours in the studio, just being able to um, support a lot of different artists that are all super incredible and being able to just kind of dive into their mind, like music for going on 17 years now, kind of their intentions for the music that they'd written, which was an awesome experience just to kind of learn from my own self, beginning to write years ago for myself and, how to structure all that and just the emotions that come along with being creative and vulnerable and uh, trying to make it sound good, you know, all that good stuff. That could be soul music. That could be country music. That could be, you know, pop music. music That could be, you know, anything that just seventeen years now. that element of just having soul to it. It's not uncommon for me to leave my house at seven or eight in the morning and then not come home till after midnight, just because I like being around people. Um, I love playing it and I have played it. The first band that I was ever in was a, a funk band, uh, and it's gone all the way to singer songwriter. Folk. That was very much gospel. kind of how LA was for me, um, and all over. I mean, I did a lot of recording um, in Dallas. Um, I've done recorded and, in different places, um, artists from all those genres. But since you mentioned the West Coast, just kind of you know brought back. I don't know memories. if I could really. Um, Identify a single one that stands out. There, out I think a lot of my it um, alls musical roots. I love as being able to musical to dive into that experience and then take I, it for what uh, it's worth, you know, grew up playing with and stuff. A lot of them moved out there, and so I'd uh, get to go out there and play shows and do these. You know, I've been playing music for massively long on seventeen uh, years now. Sessions, you know, where. Uh, you're in the studio for ten hours, and then you come you're out. In, and you're in the just like for ten hours and then by the light, you have eaten, and you're just like blinded, like by blinded by the light. I just haven't had and, and you're just like, "What and did and I just come that out of?" Being up. awesome in the in hindsight, you know, just like that was amazing. And then listening back to this incredible music that we were able to, yeah, hear, I, love, um, I, love, yeah I love, I love, yeah, I, I, I love the studio. I haven't been in it in a while. Studio, um, I haven't been in it in a while, but it's definitely been a fond part of of kind of my musical you career, as they would say, music for going on you're 17 the years now, now, 10 hours. And then you come out and you're just like blinded by the light and you haven't eaten. And you're just like, it sounds like I'm taking light of it, but it was, it almost was refreshing to just slow down and be more intentional about, um, about myself, I think more so than anything, because the more and more I, I learn, I, I realized that I, uh, I have no weight or not much weight at, at the least um, on the rest of the world. And all I can really control is myself and my, my interactions with other people and, and how I care myself. And I, I tend to just try and lean and believe in that, that that's where um, um, true change comes is at this micro level of it then beginning to permeate. Um, because yeah, if I, if I had start thinking about the, the big grand scheme and the way things are going and, and the, this, an overwhelming anxiety and energy that is kind of just prevalent within uh, our culture. It, it can get you down uh, uh, really easily. And I don't like to be down. <laughs> so I, I try to find those pockets of light that kind of help me move forward. Um, and then, if I'm in a good space, then I, I think I, c- I can create and enact more change um, just in being who I am. So this song and a couple others that I was able to record was all me, which was kind of scary. So this one I play guitar on, which is my main instrument. I believe I played play bass on this one as well. My brother and I did some of the production, putting together the drums and all the textural stuff that kind of fills out all the frequencies. I think I remember just sitting on the end of the bed the morning I started writing this. That opening kind of guitar part was just like a mood, you know. It felt good, it felt dark, it felt heavy, and it felt like it needed something um, to come from that. And so then that kind of spurred into the first line, uh, which is very heavy and dark, and then it just kind of brought this whole idea. And then from there, the music just kind of transpired. um, And yeah, it does go from minor during the verses into major during the chorus. Probably that's my optimism coming through in terms of just being aware and being able to sit in this heavy space.
4: No
5: This is a reading from Holy Adventure by Lynn Johnson. This is the second chapter called Holy Vision. I felt very intimidated. I had entered a workshop where everyone was a Yale art major and my artistic ability was quite undeveloped. My Quaker friend, Paul had convinced me to go spend the day learning to draw with a man he greatly admired. Frederick Franck was a painter, sculptor, and author of many books on spirituality, including The Zen of Seeing. His work is exhibited in major museums around the world. He was a kindly looking older man, standing in front of me, explaining that I and the 20 other participants would now learn to see. Seeing is the key to drawing, he explained. He would give us something to look at and then we were to draw it. He walked around placing different plants in each participant's hand. He gave me a leaf. I stared at my maple leaf as hard as I could, then started to sketch. I wasn't pleased with how it was coming out. I heard Frederick going from student to student, commenting, Ah, lovely, and, yes, you are seeing. Then he came to me. I waited, my face growing hot. Frederick took my pencil from me, held my hand at the wrist, and shook it. Then he put the pencil back in my hand. Now try, he said. My impulse was to run out of the room, but I didn't want everyone watching me. Embarrassed and discouraged, I looked down at my leaf and kept trying to draw. Tears slid down my face. Freddy came back and said gently, if you can get through this, you'll be able to see. He took the leaf out of my hand and placed a violet there instead. I looked at the little violet in my hand. Hours had passed since Frederick had harvested the plant, so it had started to wilt. Through my tears, I felt that wilt. I started to draw. Frederick came around again to look at my work. You see the flower, he exclaimed. He took away the violet and gave me a branch with many leaves. It looked huge to me. Knowing I felt overwhelmed, he encouraged me. Expand your vision now. Feel the sweep of the branch, the movement of the leaves, and capture that. He demonstrated a quick curving motion with my pencil. I spent the final hours of his workshop, drawing whatever he placed before me. Exhausted and exhilarated, I shook his hand and thanked him. I'm sure I wasn't the finest artist in his class, but I imagine I was the one who made the most progress. Going outside, I was amazed at the world that greeted me. Everything sparkled. I saw each leaf on each tree clearly in focus. In later years, I would remember what I saw when I read the words that Hildegard of Ben wrote in the 12th century. There is no creation that does not have a radiance. The next morning was first day, and still... In a heightened state of awareness, I went to our Quaker meeting. We met in Connecticut Hall, inside the Yale Old Campus. The high ceiling room with its wooden floors and tall windows looked beautiful to me that day. The friends sitting there were especially lovely. In silence, we sought the presence of the divine. I usually had a hard time settling into worship, but then I centered deep inside. I had the sensation of wilting, of my physical boundaries melting. Breathing slowly, I felt myself spreading into the room. I spread out and touched each beloved friend I kept melting further until I was outside in the courtyard. I was moving along the grass, touching the trees. I was part of everything. When the end of meeting came and we shook hands, it took some time for me to come back into my body. I looked around in wonder, my heart full of love. I will always remember that whole weekend and the miraculous sense of oneness I felt. When I was studying at Yale Divinity School, some years later, I read Evelyn Underhill's classic on mysticism. She would define what I experienced as a unitive state. Now, my heart hurts from all the damage we have done to our biosphere, plant, animal, and human life. I am called to spend my remaining days doing what I can to save God's earth and every inhabitant. We are one with all creation.
1: Coming up, you will hear about censorship in art museums, libraries, and sometimes in our own brains, plus a radio drama featuring a very
0: naughty kitty. Stay tuned. I am in awe of Peterson Toscano and his ability to gather these kinds of riches, and thankful that he's willing to sit in for me as guest host of Spirit in Action today. I'll keep it brief so we can get right back to him. This is Spirit in Action. Our website is northernspiritradio.org. All kinds of great stuff there, like links to all these guests. Same for all of those of the past 18 years. Post a comment, please, on this and other programs and donate to support us. You can do it via Facebook with zero fees taken out. And I'm just finishing my mid-year birthday fundraiser. And please support the 35 to 45 community radio stations that carry our programs and encourage other stations to do the same. Now, back to Peterson Descano and a number of fruits of his Bubble and Squeak podcast. Matt Billy hosts Bleeped a
1: documentary podcast about censorship and those who firmly stand up to it. I recently listened to episode five, Dylan's New Dress.
6: I think that there's a lot of people that don't understand the hours put in to get into drag. But This is walking art right here. That's Dylan Pontiff. He's a drag queen who also goes by his stage name, Santana Pilar Andrews. It's not just me putting on a Mickey Mouse suit and walking out there and being a character. It takes time to look your, your best. How long does it take you to do the makeup? Uh, it depends on how pretty I want to be. <laughs> so I want to say it took me about an hour to do my makeup for uh, Drag Queen Storytime. Dylan lives in Lafayette, Louisiana. Last August, he volunteered for Lafayette's first ever Drag Queen Storytime, which is exactly what it sounds like, drag queens reading storybooks to groups of young children. The organizers gave Dylan a book called Jacob's New Dress. It's about a boy named Jacob who wants to wear a dress to school, but another boy in his class tells him that boys are not allowed to wear dresses. I I mean, I read it and I was like completely elated that there was a book that represented me. Since Drag Queen Storytime began in 2015, drag queens have been reading storybooks to children all over the country. In the beginning, the events mostly took place in LGBTQ-friendly cities like San Francisco and New York and were filled to capacity with eager children. But this wasn't San Francisco or New York.
1: When you get a chance, check out the full episode. But gird your loins. Anti-LGBTQ peoples, true colors come shining through, and it ain't pretty. The Bleeped podcast got me thinking about censorship and self-censorship. I chatted with Matt Billy about his show and the insights he's gained in producing it.
6: I find the people that I cover in the show, they're really inspiring to me. The range of topics I've covered, you know, it could be drag queens trying to put on a drag queen story hour. the Conservatives in the local area try to stop them. It could be a couple that left a negative review for an online retailer and that retailer tried to find them $3,500 for the negative review. What's interesting to me is that all these people, they are they're confronted with a choice. They can either just kind of suck it up, accept the censorship and move on with their lives, or they can go into this big battle that can take, you know, months or even years. And very often they choose the battle it it drains them it takes a lot of energy to fight but at the end of it they often win uh and often their stories are covered by the media in in 500 to 700 word articles but it doesn't quite go into it doesn't really capture their emotion and that's what i think my show does is it shows the the emotional roller coaster these people go through but with drag queen story hour there, There is this conspiracy theory floating around right now that Drag Queen Story Hour is not about reading storybooks, about accepting everyone uh, to children, but is actually a way for the LGBT community to recruit new members, groom them into their alternative lifestyle. I listened to seven hours of a city council meeting where a lot of members of the public got up to speak and they denounced Drag Queen Story Hour. Uh, a lot of people... Who spoke were preachers who would would quote parts of the Bible and say that you know God did not intend for people to be this way. So in Greenville, South Carolina, they put on a drag queen story hour. This was not covered in my episode. It was a successful drag queen story hour, but the security cost the city about fifty thousand dollars for that afternoon. Major protests. Also, you know, standing room only inside the library. The the parents and the children had a great time, but the city council immediately started talking about cutting the budget for the entire Greenville library system. And mysteriously, the library director and one other high-ranking library official are no longer employed by that library. They did not give an official reason. The city did not give an official reason, but... The fact that it happened just a month or two after the the controversial Drag Queen Story Hour leads us to believe that they were fired because they allowed the Drag Queen Story Hour to happen. Government using the power of the purse to try to censor people. The government, they fund all these jobs, they, they fund all this research, so they try to create this fear that if you don't say something along the lines of what they already wanted you to say, you might not get that contract renewed. I have a very personal example, actually. So my cousin, and I won't use his name, but my cousin actually works for a company that does environmental reports before uh, construction. He's been working at the company for a while. But when Donald Trump issued the statement that he didn't want the phrase climate change used in any more government documents, his boss actually told him to stop using the phrase climate change. Right. So the censorship is real and, and people have to find other terms, other ways of saying it that don't use that word specifically. You know, it has a very you know 1984-esque feel to it. With self-censorship, it doesn't become a public story. Right. It kind of happens in the dark and we don't really find out about it. With my Robert Mapplethorpe exhibit episode, I, I do touch on self-censorship a little bit when they took the contemporary art center in cincinnati to trial for displaying obscene photographs you know beautiful photographs by robert maplethorpe what it did was it had a chilling effect on the entire museum world and now you can actually google google this idea is this museum self-censorship and they actually teach courses in it they they tell you they have a whole list of things that you should self-censor against One of the goals of this show is to to help inspire other people as well. I want to hold all these people up as examples that if you fight back against censorship, be it climate change censorship or other types of censorship, you can win. It's a hard road, but you can win and the world is better for it if you fight it out. So that's what I'm trying to do.
1: attending a monthly online intro to climate fiction workshop. It's offered by withmanyroots.com. In each session, they introduce us to a climate solution, and most of them are boring, you know, (laughs) like forest management or seaweed farming. But these, according to drawdown.org, have amazing potential impacts. They want us to imagine a world where this solution is part of of a story. It may not be about the solution, but that solution is part of your future story. In a session about district heating, I came up with a story which I call I'm Not Dead Yet. It takes place about 40 years from the present time. Oh, really? The system is down. District heating never goes down. It's been running just fine for over 30 years. I guess it's getting old. Just like you and me, Fika. Yes, my naughty kitty. No, you cannot have a treat. Are you cold, my darling? Well, let me explain it to you. Don't give me that look. District heating. It's been around since 2028. That's when the power lines all over the country frosted over. Most everyone was without power for weeks. What a mess. Lots of deaths, too. Oof. It was the last straw. The municipality had enough sense to take matters into their own hands for a change. I, I actually assisted with the planning. Energy independence, local power, all that became the rage. And it mostly worked. Not sure what created this outage, though. Vilna will send us another update. Beware, Fika. I reckon they're going to herd us into a building so we don't freeze to death. Well, I like to be alone. Well, with my Fika. I don't mind people, really. It's just that most people my age bore me to tears. When you're in your seventies, you repeat yourself a lot and you don't mind. No, my darling. No, you cannot have a treat. I just don't have much to do with anyone, especially young people. Someone in their forties is young to me, very young. I'll get to see the latest fashions though and perhaps talk with young people about politics and whatever fad they're into right now. I miss that part, actually. When I was a teacher, please don't look at me that way. No, you cannot have a tree, you naughty baby. When I was a teacher, I had a steady stream of information. I didn't have to to read the entertainment sites to keep up. My students, they kept me young and informed. I guess I got myself into a rut. It was easier when Max was around. I just stopped going out at some point. Taking care of him and... I have no need to go to the shops anymore. They do local deliveries every day, even Sundays. Oh, finally. Oh, no. We must all meet at the school gymnasium. They organized a shuttle for the poor slobs who can't walk. I can walk, thank you very much. I just don't do it nearly enough. If it wasn't so cold, my Fika, we'd stay away from that mob. I should clean myself up and give you a good brush. i go days without a shower. And now all we have is this cold water. I forget how the system heats the water, too. What on earth went wrong with it? We have plenty of rotting food and sun and wind to give it power. Uh, The backup batteries are good, too. I remember the planning meetings I attended back then. Must be getting old, poor thing. Seizing up, giving up, out with the old, in with the new. in that gymnasium since graduation after my retirement I had plans to go back every year but Max got sick I lost touch with colleagues and my students found some other favourite teacher now it wouldn't be the first time we used the gymnasium to house people there was that flood in 34 who would have thought there would ever be a flood here We could only have a stream or the sea nearby oh but the rains came oh Vika, they came a rain bomb they call it now more rain in 48 hours than we typically get in a year yes my sweetie. no no treatsies washed out most of the town people came with food parcels blankets to share games to play i was in the thick of it organizing and cheering people up like no doubt some clown will try to do for us These young people today, they have no idea how to deal with the crisis. They live in a better world, for sure. They're so sheltered. It's good for them to suffer a little tonight. Camp out with the neighbors to rough it a bit. They're all disconnected from reality. Zombies on the web. If I'm going, I might as well bring some things along. Food and books and, of course, your treats. Of course, I'll bring your treats, but not now. Oh, and Fika, you will be the princess of the gymnasium. They will love you. I'll bet these young people show up with nothing but the shirts on their back. I'll bring extra. I still have that shopping cart somewhere. These chocolates. Oh, Sam gave me. I haven't opened them. Why? He always gives me things I'll never know. I tell him, don't waste your money on me. The good chocolates do the real stuff. The kids will go mad over these. Oh, and I still have some journals my students produced. The Wizard. I never liked the name. It was decided in a contest. Each year, the students worked hard to produce a university-level journal. Excellent writing and art, too. Fico, these kids will get a kick out of it. Maybe some of their parents. God, their grandparents were contributors. We are old. Will they remember me? "'Of course they will. "'I haven't forgotten any of my teachers, "'even the bad ones, and that was over fifty years ago. "'They are all long gone now. "'Oh, the shuttle will be here soon. "'I told Vilna I could walk, but I have you, my darling, "'and all this stuff. "'Better to hop on the shuttle. "'I need my pillow, too, and yours. "'Who knows if they have the disaster room stocked up. "'I'll bring extra ones for others. "'This can last for days.' Hold on, I'm coming. How may I help you? Oh, yeah, here, you. Help me with the stuff. No, I will take Fika. No, I can walk. I am not dead yet. You and me Everything that we've been through has made us strong You won't
4: believe we've had our break. But somewhere there's a light inside of us It shows the way Not looking for no, no, no For no Cause I got you I got you
1: So I'm so I'm always surprised when people say to me that I seem so comfortable in my skin. It's so not true. I am often very uncomfortable in my body, and with my body, and with other bodies. And I'm particularly squeamish about any type of body fluids. I was an EMT for a short period of time, and I was a terrible EMT if there was any blood, saliva, or other body fluids involved. Over Christmas and New Year's this year, This squeamishness got tested, and I was really surprised with how things turned out. My husband and I traveled to the East Bay, California, to visit his sister and her family. His sister Lisa had been struggling a losing battle with cancer for over a year, and she was at the end of the journey all treatments failed. In fact, we were surprised she was still alive by the time Christmas came and we arrived. Up until that point, up until the day we arrived, in fact, she was pretty well able to look after herself. She didn't drive anymore, and she only went for incredibly short walks up the block and back. But she made her bed and washed her clothes and prepared meals for herself and walked up and down the stairs, even though people offered to help. But that was changing quickly. A home health aide came for the first time and turned out to be a really bad fit for Lisa. He had never actually worked with a dying person before, and he had never worked with a female patient. He felt uncomfortable, he told us, about the intimacy of caring for a female body. It was the next day I was chatting with Lisa at the end of the day, and she was very tired. She was struggling, she said, to take off her compression socks. They're these incredibly tight, tight socks that help feet and legs from swelling. So I said, I can help you with that. And I did. And the next day I helped her again. And she said, Oh, that I'm supposed to actually be putting some lotion on my feet and legs every day, but I just can't get to that. I can't reach down at the end of the day to do that. And I said, Well, I can do that. And within a few days, I was doing more and more for Lisa. Some months before, Lisa had sent me a message and asked how it was when my parents died. They died at home. She wanted to know about the details of what that was like. I was not a primary caregiver to my parents. I couldn't. But my older sister and some cousins and friends did all that work. And at the end, they had to do everything. I mean, my parents lost the ability to leave the bed to clean themselves, they became like babies. So I shared this with Lisa. And at the time she said that she'd rather have family take care of her than a stranger. And I thought to myself, Oh, I would so much rather have a stranger (laughs) wiping my butt. (laughs) I mean, I really don't want a loved one's last memory to be of that, but you know, we're all different. So months later, I'm there with Lisa. And after talking it over with my husband, I made an outrageous offer. I said, Lisa, if you are comfortable, I'd be willing to be your caregiver for the rest of your time here. She thought about it and said yes. And that's what happened every day. It was amazing to see this woman who had been so successful in her career, like a really high-end software developer, manager, CEO-type person, every day graciously handing over more and more control over her medications, over her schedule, cleaning, everything. And after caring for her for two weeks, She died very peacefully in bed with the family all around her. Let me set the scene for you. I am sitting outside. In the afternoon, about an hour after Lisa passed away, her body is still inside, and I'm waiting for the hospice nurse to arrive, Gladys. Gladys had been there earlier in the day. She checked Lisa's body from head to foot to make sure that there were no sores or any issues that needed to be addressed. She turned to me and she said, wow, she looks great. You've taken very good care of her body. So Gladys is coming back. She should be here any minute. So I'm just going to sit outside here and wait. ¿Cómo está acá? Thank you for joining me today on Spirit in Action. I shared with you samples from my occasional podcast, Bubble and Squeak. In this show, you heard Wendy Sanford speak about the creation and evolution of the groundbreaking book, Our Bodies, Ourselves. Wendy is also the author of the book, These Walls Between Us. It's a memoir of friendship across race and class. Learn more at wendysanford us.com. That's Wendy Sanford- TheseWallsBetweenUs.com Singer-songwriter Scott Fowler spoke about and sang his song, The One. Hear more of his original music and sign up for his refreshingly simple newsletter. Visit ScottFowlerMusic.com That's ScottFowlerMusic.com Lynn Johnson read from her spiritual memoir, holy adventure. Purchase your very own copy at meetinghouse.xyz. That's meetinghouse.xyz. Matthew Billy from the podcast Bleeped talked about censorship. From drag queen's story hour to Maplethorpe's nude photos to climate change, he exposes the censors. Look for Bleeped wherever you get podcasts. I performed the short story, I'm Not Dead Yet. It appears in the Clifi Imaginarium. I have other stories there, including Seaweed Seduction. And there are many other stories of futures filled with climate change solutions. Visit WithManyRoots.com. That's WithManyRoots.com. Finally, I shared with you the sounds that filled the morning my sister-in-law died at home from cancer. I end every episode of Bubble and Squeak with what I call a sound slice. From the jungles of KwaZulu-Natal to the streets of Havana to my little home studio in Sunbury, Pennsylvania, I share sounds that I capture. You can hear Bubble and Squeak wherever you find podcasts, but you might have to search for Bubble and Squeak Peterson Toscano. That's my name. See, there's a lot of Bubble and Squeaks out there. You want to make sure you get the right one. If you want to create your own long-term or short-term podcast project, find out more about how it can be done. Visit my studio, petersontoscano.com. That's petersontoscano.com. I also host other podcasts, Citizens Climate Radio and Quakers Today. Really, I think I've become an audio-invasive species. Thank you so much for listening today. And thank you Mark helps me for having me on today's show. Can I come back please? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm sure, Peterson, that our Spirit in Action listeners all agree that you can come back as soon as we can arrange it. Thank you for sitting in for me, and we'll see you all next week for Spirit in Action. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. Check out all things Spirit in Action on northernspiritradio.org. Guests, links, stations, and a place for your feedback, suggestions, and support. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, and I hope you find deep roots to support you to grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action.
4: With every voice, with every song, we will move this world along. And our lives will feel the echo of our